don't know, it, it's just a, a sideways, mm. possession, boring style of football. You know, I think boring is, is 10 years without a title, that's very boring. But yeah, it's just, every day is the same. It's, it's but is it boring? Yeah, really boring. I think you lack a bit creativity in the press at the moment and you follow uh, a uh, bandwagon that is uh, very, 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 very boring. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Left Back in the Studio, the podcast that talks about the boring and the worst of modern football. And we've got a great show lined up for everybody who's tuning in right now. And I am joined on this show, as always, by my good friend and co-host, Ben Cartwright. How are you doing today, Ben? I'm doing fantastically well. It's another beautiful day here in England um, and I'm very excited to get on with the show, discuss the, the, bad, the bad end of the football. Um, I miss it every week between shows. I miss talking about bad stuff. Yeah, I have to say, since doing this show, I, I suddenly now have a greater appreciation for the bad football. But that's kind of the point of what this podcast was all about. But I now find myself, when I'm watching a boring nil-niller, thinking oh my God, this is going to be great content for the podcast, rather than sitting there thinking, oh my God, I could be doing something else with my 90 minutes right now. Um, and we, we certainly have got a couple of those <laughs> to talk about this week, Ben, haven't we? Yes, yes, we have got a few, and I'm, I'm very excited to discuss them with you. Absolutely. So, let's get cracking. And we're going to start off by having a look at some of the matches of this past weekend and then having a look at some future fixtures as well. Starting with the game up in Wearside, which of course was Sunderland versus Middlesbrough. Um, and that was one of our pickouts last week, Ben, for a boring game of the week. And I thought I just wanted to highlight this at the start because actually... I thought it was surprisingly entertaining. I don't know if you managed to catch a lot of the highlights, Ben, but it finished Sunderland 1 and Middlesbrough 2, and actually was a was a pretty entertaining fixture, I found. I mean, my, my thoughts from this game are, who Arnie? Stu Arnie. What a performance from <laughs> Stu Arnie. Never heard of him in my life before last weekend, and he scores an absolute blinder. Um, set alight any boring game of football. We got this one wrong, I think. Yeah, we got this one horribly wrong, and it's fair to say that in future um, we may have to be very wary of what particular fixtures we choose. So it may not just be the ones that, on paper, you think, "Oh, this is going to be a typically boring game." Um, as as one that I picked out earlier for this week was going to be uh, Crystal Palace Bournemouth, but you know what? That that one in itself could easily end up being a, a th- two-two thriller or something like that. So. Yeah, in future, maybe I should just be wary of choosing the... the, 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 the... Well, it, it is a weird one. I mean, Arsenal fans are moaning about the lack of signings um, in this transfer window. And, and Leicester City fans, I'd say, were probably pretty happy with how their transfer window has gone, considering how many players they've kept compared to how wow. many they probably expected to lose in this window. Um, the interesting stat from this fixture and the season as a whole so far is that Jamie Vardy has <laughs> yet to hit a shot on target. Um, I know a lot of people have, have sort of had faith in him, put him in, his, in their fantasy teams, including myself, and he has come up with absolutely nothing so far, unfortunately for Leicester. Um, and yeah, Arsenal, after scoring three goals against, well, a bit of a shaky Liverpool defence the previous week, will be a bit disappointed, I think, not to get anything from this game. 
Yeah, I think so as well. I mean, I didn't manage to catch the whole game in its entirety, but I did watch parts of the first half and the entirety of the second half. And it, yeah, I think it was a case of both defences just seemed to cancel each other out because everybody wanted to sit deep because they knew that uh, the attacking flair of the opposition, so for Leicester you've obviously got Vardy, Mares, and those types of players, and then for Arsenal, Chamberlain, Walcott and Sanchez, they've all got pace, and so nobody really wants to give anything away. And I think that's why both defences ended up cancelling each other out, because both of them had a, a very, very good game, and both keepers had a uh, solid games as well. But yeah, a quite shocking... One to find on the old uh, results list, having a Leicester nil, Arsenal nil be our first nil nil of the Premier League season. Yeah, I, th I think I th just a quick one on this one as well. I, don't, I think I'm right in saying that no champion, like no champion of the Premier League in the in the next season, lost the first two games there of the next season. If that makes sense, so Leicester mm. definitely didn't want to lose this one and sort of have that record on the names. But it has been disappointing starts of the season for both of these teams, Leicester and Arsenal. Um, obviously, they'll be hoping to get a win this weekend. Absolutely, and we'll find out soon enough how both of those teams fare in the next fixture. But let's go on to what is evidently the the shocking result of the weekend. We'll only touch upon it briefly, but. My word, Ben. Burnley 2, Liverpool 0. <laughs> this is just the classic of the of the Premier League, really, isn't it? The classic nature of it. You go into the game now, Liverpool come off a high, beat Arsenal 4-3. OK, bit of a shambles defensively, but nobody gave Burnley a hope in hell in this fixture, did they, Ben? I mean, yeah. This is, this is the sort of bread and butter of our podcast, I'd say. A classic victory out of nothing. Literally out of nothing. They had 19% possession, Burnley, in this game, which is the lowest percentage of possession with a win, I think, ever recorded in the Premier League. Um, so anti-football done to absolute perfection by Sean Dyke and his 11 men. Um, and yeah, Liverpool, having watched sort of brief spurts of the game, um, watched it back. Liverpool, obviously, they have got lots of quality going forward. I mean, when I say lots, I mean lots, because... They've seemingly got about 25 centre-attacking midfielders. And they all like to score a goal. <laughs> a lot of their opportunities came from outside the box. So they did end up with a lot of, of shots on goal. But if you can't beat the keeper, Tom Heaton, he's a decent, a decent stopper for Burnley. If you can't beat him, then this is what's going to happen. Burnley will, will catch you on the break. Sam votes with a decent goal for Burnley. Um, their first. And yeah, Liverpool are struggling. Yeah, absolutely, and I know statistics have been flying around for this particular game, but in case people haven't heard, you know, Liverpool had 80% of the possession, they had 26 shots on goal, but only five of them were on target, and I think that highlights a, a major flaw, really, with, with Liverpool, is their ability, once again, it sounds simple on paper, but just to put the ball back in there, or to even just make the keeper work, uh, you know, so many of those shots I saw on a highlights reel were just blazed over the bar. Whereas Burnley have three shots on goal, two of them on target, two goals. I mean, that's that's clinical for you. And as you say, it's not just a possession game. It's it's about the clinical taking of your chances. And to be fair, Burnley scored some great goals. And more question marks over Liverpool. I mean, that's I'm sure that's going to be a recurring theme this season. It's it's actually so, interesting just. Again, quickly, um, Jurgen Klopp in an interview with Gary Lineker, I saw his sort of mantra is, it, 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 he said, 
what is the point of football basically for you, Jurgen? He was like, I want the fans to enjoy it. I want the I want the fans to come to the game, and when the game finishes, by the time it finishes, they'll be like, right, I can't wait for next week. I can't wait. I can't wait for next week's game. So his mantra isn't winning games. That's not sort of the be all and end all. Where other clubs, i.e., Burnley and any other team that are going to be struggling in a sort of relegation fight this season, their their sole their sole aim will be to win the game that's in front of them. Where for Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool, seemingly that's not what it's all about. He also wants to play an exciting. Um, exciting brand of football which we saw obviously against Arsenal last week but it, do, it didn't it didn't happen against Burnley so it's an interesting um, interesting one that one Absolutely and it remains to be seen whether uh, in the long run Liverpool fans will really like that type of policy Jurgen Klopp is talking about because um, as people say the cliche of football is, there is of course a results business so let's move on then to previewing some of this week's games very briefly um, and the, the main crux of this particular feature is to kind of pick out a fixture from the Premier League and the European League and you know, thinking which one's going to be the most boring one of the weekend so I think I'll have to let you talk about this one in a bit more depth uh, Ben but we've picked out Everton versus Stoke why have we chosen this particular fixture or why do you think this could be the most boring game of the weekend as a Stoke fan of course well it's an interesting one because the fixture last week as some listeners might already know um, the score was end up being 4-3 to Stoke with a last minute penalty scored by Marco and Altovic and it's the game where Jordan Shakiri scored that goal that was it the greatest goal of all time or was it an accident the one where the ball got played through by Bojan he sort of Looked like he might be playing the ball across to Arnautovic, but it's actually come off, come off his boot and gone into the top bin. So, as a Stoke fan and a, a Shakiri fan, I'm going to say he meant it, but the debate is still on. But anyway, my reason for thinking this game will be the boring game of the weekend is because they're all out of goals, basically. 4-3. You don't get many 4-3s as a Stoke fan, and I'm sure the same is for Everton. So, I think this season, having been such an amazing game last year, they'll just both cancel each other out, both with... Both with sort of struggling defences last year, aiming to solid to have a bit more solidity in the back, in the back four, or three, depending on what Kuman wants to do on the weekend. I think they'll both sort of try and defend the lead, much like Leicester Arsenal last weekend. Rather than going for the win, they'll both be happy um, to sit back and hopefully, well, go for the counter attack, but maybe not get lucky this time. Um, a bit of contrasting starts of the season: Everton with a win and a draw, Stoke with a with a loss and a draw. So again, Stoke won't want to lose this one. I know that as a fan, people won't want to lose it because, well, then Mark Hughes is under pressure and Mark Hughes doesn't want to be under pressure. I don't know what you think on that, Kieran. I think that's a good reason to, to look at it, really. I guess also the the thriller that took place last season, it arose in a different context, not just in terms of the personnel and of, of, of the players and the manager, but also just at different stages of the season, really, where I guess perhaps being more open and going gun-ho was a, a more coveted policy, whereas now, it's the beginning of the season, you don't really want to give too much away, I would say, um, and obviously Stoke after the performance against Man City. Not that it was a bad performance, but of course they conceded four goals. Maybe we'll just want to be a bit more defensively sure. Um, and as far as Everton go, you know, they're also in a sort of adjustment period as well. I don't think they're necessarily going to be going gun-ho per se. I think it's going to be hopefully getting those 1-0 or 2-1 uh, wins if they can do. So I, I could see this one 
you know another another type of uh, game in which the two teams cancel each other out. But we'll uh, we'll soon find out um, whether there will be a repeat of the. Now now we're saying this it's going to be like a four four thriller. I just know it. It's, it's the typical way that we uh, we preview these types of games. So um, in that respect, hopefully Everton and Stoke fans are in for a treat. <laughs> With that in mind, we're now going to move on to the European fixture of the week. Um, and I have gone for uh, the game in Serie A because we've looked at the Liga, we've looked at Ligue 1. And so we're going to go to Italy now um, and look for our particular game. Um, and we're going to go with Torino versus Bologna. Um, again, a team that... Two teams that I can't really sit here and say, oh, I'm, I'm really avid followers of those. But, you know, both of these two teams were sort of, you know, in the middling squads of, uh, or, sorry, they were kind of in within the, the middle of the, of the league. You know, they finished 12th and 14th respectively. So I can't really sit here and say that it's going to really offer too, too much in terms of excitement. Uh, Torino at the moment have got zero points. Bologna have got three points um, so there's not too much already you could argue is going to kind of separate these two teams on paper um, and again not many of them a lot of them I guess you could argue haven't necessarily got the kind of goal scoring prowess as you would expect um, you know some pundits are saying they're going to predict it's going to be a tough one nil for Torino so not expecting a lot of goals in this game to be honest um, but well, it remains to be seen. To be honest, I would not be surprised now, as I say this as well, for this to be a three-two thriller. But I, I have you got any thoughts on this game in particular, Ben? Anything about Italy uh, or the Italian league that you've seen so far this season? Well, there's only been one. There's only been one game week so far, which only resulted in one draw. That was between Pescara and Napoli. I hope I'm pronouncing those right. So you're, it's actually Bologna, not Bologna. Kieran, just for next time. Um, obviously, yeah, maybe I should let you lead this section next time. <laughs> Bologna, obviously, the home of spaghetti, so they'll they'll be hope spaghetti. It's not the home of spaghetti. I've I've messed up my one line. Um, Bologna, home of spaghetti bolognese. So they'll they'll be hoping for a tasty game on offer this weekend. Sorry, that was awful. Last time the two sides <laughs> met, um, it actually ended Torino one, Bologna nil. Obviously, you mentioned Bologna won their first game of the season, Torino losing there. So. They'll be hoping sort of, sort of um, get back on that, make things right almost. Um, Torino, well, Torino have done better traditionally in this tie anyway. So I think Torino kind of go into this one as favourites, especially with their past record against Bologna. Um, but we'll see. It's a, it's going to be an interesting one. But as you say, mid-table clash, not much in it. Both clubs sort of with one eye behind them, rather than sort of looking forward up the league. So yeah. Probably a boring one. Syria, I'd say, I don't know too much about it, but I'd say probably the league with a reputation that's quite boring. Maybe that's harsh. Hopefully I don't get it in the neck from the Serie A fans, um, the listeners, of course. But we'll see. Yeah, I, th I think this one's going to be a bit dull, Kieran. Yeah, and I mean, now I can pronounce the name right, Bologna. Uh, having a look at some of their, their recent results, um, you know, you're looking at the last six results there hasn't been more than two goals scored in any match um, they've won the matches in large part but there have been two nil nils two one nils and two two nils so 
there you go. Kind of puts things into a bit of perspective there. If they're going to win this game and we're going to put them as favourites, then it's going to probably be a one nil type of win. Or, you know, not going to be many goals is sort of what we're predicting here. Right. Let's move on from that then and talk about one of our new regular features, which is entitled The Worst Performance of the Week. So... Ben, shall I let you take away uh, this? Shall I let you lead the discussion on, on, on these particular people and candidates that we've got for this week? Quite a variety, I have to say. Well, yes. As always, hopefully, we'll have a variety of bad performances. There's always some some shocking performances on offer in the world of football. So I'll start this week with Harry Arter. Actually, no, I won't start with Harry Arter. I'll start with you, Kieran. Because, as always, with our worst performance of the week, we like to release a... Bl a poll and also maybe some highlights a video of the poor performance and Kieran you did that with Harry Arter and of course you said he played for Burnley he plays for Bournemouth doesn't he Kieran yeah I mean I, I had a bit of a gaffe there to say the least and there's a similar gaffe that we'll be talking about later in this show where somebody has, has managed to get the, the basically the player's team wrong but you know what it, that, that's not, that, I'm not I'm not being analysed for the worst performance of the week because otherwise I think I'd be always getting the worst performance of the week and we want like to have a variety on this show but Harry Arter obviously playing for Bournemouth not Burnley um, I, I immediately thought about this particular person because you know he didn't have a bad bad game per se but he got sent off and he got sent off around the 77th minute mark for two really silly yellows. I mean, the first one was just vociferously shouting at the referee. And the second one was for a cynical pullback, which I understand you do that if you um, are looking to stop the player from obviously getting into a goal-scoring position. But don't do it when you're on the first booking and you know you're guaranteed to get a second yellow. You give the referee no choice. And after that, it was nil-nil at the time. West Ham go and score, win the game, Bournemouth end up coming away with nothing. So I think that's why I put him up as a candidate for the worst performance of the week. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. He, he is a player that often plays with his heart on his sleeve. And yeah, didn't go well for him on the weekend, unfortunately for Harry. Um, our next poor performance of the week comes from Stuart Nelson. So he's the Gillingham goalkeeper. They played Scunthorpe. And again, you brought this one up, Kieran. Um, but he conceded five goals, two of which were absolute howlers. We, tw we did tweet a link, a video link of his performance. So if you haven't seen it already, go to the left back in this left back in the studio Twitter. That's at LB in the studio if you don't already follow us. Have a look at that because um, there's a couple of videos on there of the poor performances. So that's Stuart Nelson. Um, Next poor performance of the week comes from one of my very own. It's Ryan Shawcross, the Stoke City captain. Um, we'll be talking about it a bit more later on, but he conceded a rubbish penalty, really. It was, a, it was from a corner, if you haven't seen him. Ball gets swung in. He's holding on to Raheem St um, Otamendi, I believe it was. It was Otamendi. Um, and then the referee is pointed to the spots. It has happened to him before last season against Swansea and it's something that apparently the referees are trying to step down on they've had a word of player saying if you hold on to someone in the corner then it'll be a penalty and that's exactly what happened it was at a point in the game when Stoke were getting back into the game after struggling early on against Man City and then after that completely crumbled and ended up losing 4-1 so that's Ryan Shawcross and finally um, in our poll Edison Cavani again there's a video on our Twitter so check that out if you haven't already 
And this performance, honestly, from a striker, his confidence is as low as Fernando Torres's was at Chelsea. He is missing the ball all over the place. He can't shoot for love nor money. Um, and yeah, he's just generally awful for this game for PSG. They ended up winning anyway. Um, but yeah, Edison Cavani had nothing to do with that win. So I don't know what he, you thought oh, yeah. was the was the worst performance of the week, Kieran. Well, it was a bit of a toss-up between, in my mind, Edison Cavani and, and Stuart Nelson, to be honest. I, The thing is, with Edison Cavani, I looked at some of the highlights for that game, and he did have an absolute shocker of a performance. Um, I mean, he's supposed to be their front... He's their number one striker, and if he's missing chances like he missed, then they're in big trouble, I think, for the season ahead. But... The only thing that saves PSG, I guess, is that they have also got a team of very, very good players. So they can get out of jail against these types of teams. So I'm going to go with Stuart Nelson, mainly because, you know, his his sort of woeful performance on, on the first goal that he conceded and the fourth goal, they were all at, like, key stages of the game. But I think the president was set after he conceded that horrible first goal where the shot was straight at him. He outstretched his palms and it sort of hit his palms and went into the top corner. It, what should have happened was, you get the touch on it, you either catch it or just palm it away. You don't palm it into your back of your net. And so with that in mind, they end up... And then he conceded five goals as well. Not all of them his fault, but two of them were blatantly his fault. So in my mind, I think I'm going to have to give it to the goalkeeper because he cost his team points, whereas Cavani sort of got out of jail because his team saved him. But what about you, Ben? Are you going to dispute that? Are you going to go for Cavani or are you going to go for any of the other candidates? Um, I mean, I would have been tempted by Ryan Shawcross as, a, as I think he hasn't been playing fantastically well at the moment. And yeah, just to give away a, an awful penalty like that really did irk me. Um, I, I, can, I can reveal that Twitter has voted for Edison Cavani as their worst performance of the week after that video that we shared with, with you. Um, See, so yeah, I... I I think I'd have to say Cavani. He's having a bit of a shocker at the moment, really. Um, he he could be the PSG's main man as striker now that Ibrahimovic has left. Obviously, he's he's been in a bit of of the he's been in the shadow of Ibrahimovic for a number of years now, playing out on the wing for PSG. And they need that front man. They need that 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 player to score them goals regularly, like Zlatan did for them. And Cavani could have stepped up at the moment. It's not really happening for him. So I, I do feel bad because. Goal scoring, I feel, is such a confidence-based skill. But yeah, it's not 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 going well for him at the moment. So I'd I'd vote with Twitter. I'd vote for Edison Cavani. Um, and another very honourable mention that wasn't in the poll. You mentioned this, Kieran. The London Stadium, West Ham United's new stadium. It's had a rubbish week. And Kieran, I'll, I'll let you take the listener through what's gone so wrong. Yeah, I mean, if if we could name stadiums as candidates, then I think the London Stadium is probably going to be the outright winner for the rest of the season because, my goodness me, the opening two games there have been absolute shockers. Nothing like if you can go back to 2012 when it was the Olympic Stadium and we had so much entertainment on Super Saturday and things like that. Instead, we've had a boar opening game in the Premier in West Ham United's home uh, Premier League season, wherein... It ended up being 1-0 to West Ham after a really drab game against Bournemouth. I mean, what we talked about earlier with Harry Arter's red card and the goal, I mean, that was pretty much it. 
uh, <laughs> I can't really think of anything else of, of note from that game that is even worth talking about on here. And then yesterday, West Ham uh, played, I believe their name is Astra, uh, this Romanian league, uh, from the Romanian league, and uh, they ended up crashing out of the Europa League after they had got a successful, you could argue, or on paper it seemed a successful 1-1 at their place. You're thinking, we'll take them to our place. Surely we can do the business here. And West Ham had chance after chance after chance. What happens? Concede just before the end of the first half. And then they just can't, you know, blow the house down, so to speak, if we're going to use the three little pigs metaphor. But the point is, it was an absolute shock of a West Ham. And their fans are leaving there now after watching a really boring opening game where they just about scraped through against Bournemouth. And now they knocked out the Europa League. So I guess, Ben... Not really a, a, a great start to uh, West Ham's new era, so to speak, that everyone's been building up at the London Stadium. I think the issue for West Ham as well, they, they got knocked out by Astra last year as well. So they've been basically knocked out by a car in the Europa League for two years in a row. Awful from them. <laughs> I was angry last year because I think it's such a wasted opportunity for a club, especially of West Ham's size. And... and I mean, as a Stoke fan, we got into Europa League a few years ago. I think it was 2011 season, maybe. Um, our team consisted of players like Matt Upson at the end of his career. We had Salif Jow um, and a number of players that probably no one has even heard of. And they got through to the Europa League. Not only that, they got through the group stage of the Europa League. And West Ham, with their squad they have currently, can't even, get, like, can't even qualify. It really annoys me. I think it's a waste of opportunity. Get, sort yourself out, West Ham in my opinion. Sort yourself out Olympic Stadium or London Stadium or whatever they want to call it. Yeah. It's a joke. That's it. I'm blaming it for the name change. Exactly. That's what I'm blaming it. Why even call it the London? Just call it whatever. You know what? It's little things like that that irk me, Ben, as well. So West Ham are getting there just as irks, in my opinion. Can I just share... Sorry I, to all West Ham fans. Can I share just some facts about Astra as well? I, I, I found yeah, go some, on. some facts. So they're currently 11th in the Romanian League. 11th. They've got no money... Apparently they've sold their best players. Their manager is suspended for betting on football. And their owner is in jail. That's where Astra are right now. West Ham have probably spent the most money they've ever spent. Actually, that's definitely happening. West Ham are probably the richest they've ever been. They've got a new lovely stadium. Paid for them. They've got it for free. And they can't, they can't beat Astra. 11th in the league in Romania. What a joke. That's bad football. Mm. If you want a definition of bad football, West Ham against Astra done I think we should finish it there before I get too annoyed yeah we'll move on from that because there's no doubt about it I think West Ham as a team have probably won the worst performance of the week we just couldn't fit it on Twitter <laughs> anyway we're going to move on now to the debate of the week so last week we talked about tedious transfers obviously with us still in the transfer window not for long though not for long um just a week or so to go um but now we're going to have a look at a different topic we're going to be looking at the laws of the game or rather the new laws of the game that have been introduced this season because there are a couple now of interesting changes which have already already you can see have taken effect in certain premier league matches and I'm focusing in particular on two rules about penalties and player behaviour. So I'm going to go over to you, Ben, as I think there are a couple of instances in particular which really stand out. So 
I'm going to start with the with the penalties rule. Um, of course, I think it's very appropriate that we talk about this in light of the Stoke game in particular. We alluded to it before, but the whole Shawcross and, and Sterling situation, two, of course, just to point out, two separate penalties that were given in that game, one committed by Shawcross and the other committed by Sterling. Yeah, what what do you make of of these kind of the, the the way that referees are now clamping down on any form of infringing a player in a box? It would seem because I mean, I'm also I sort of just struggled to describe it when I saw the Sterling one because you know <laughs> Sterling impeded Shawcross according to Mike Dean, which is not incorrect, but it just didn't seem right. What's your view about all of this? Well, I think the penalty on Shawcross or the penalisation of Shawcross um, was fair enough. He he basically held onto Otamendi's shirt, stopping him from jumping, and Otamendi couldn't get a clean header on it. It was stupid from Shawcross because Otamendi was in such a position that he probably, unless it was the best header I've ever seen, never would have scored from it. So that's where the sort of that that's that I think that decision, if you've seen it is right, that's fair enough. If, if that can be clamped down on, the holding down from jumping, um, stopping a player attacking the ball or defending the ball, I think that should be stopped, fair enough. The Sterling incident is absolutely ludicrous. Um, I don't know what he's done wrong. He's, ha- he's basically had his hand on, on Shawcross, didn't sort of pull his shirt, just, just hand is there, which as a football player, you often do just to sort of have a feel of where the player is, just keep them where they are, you know where they are. If, you, if, you're, if you're touching them, it's nothing more than that. Football is a contact game. We can't just delete contact from football, otherwise it won't work. Um, I think even Ryan Shawcross was complaining to the ref. Was it Mike Riley? Who was the ref? I can't remember. Um, anyway, Mike Dean. Mike Dean was the ref. Mike Dean. Sorry, Mike Dean. Sorry, Mike Riley. It's... Anyway, <laughs> I think he even complained to Mike Dean saying... Ref, I didn't even touch Raheem. I didn't. I, like my hands were barely on him. I, honestly, if you have a look back at the replay, I've I've tweeted it myself. Um, I don't think Shawcross wants that penalty to be given away. Um, I think Mike Dean. That was sort of. It was sort of payback for another incident that had happened earlier in the game. But anyway, if we're seeing the referees give give penalties for altercations like that, and I say altercation, that is a massive over exaggeration because there was nothing like nothing in it. Um, if we see penalty decisions like that, there are going to be five or six every single game. Every corner, basically, we're a penalty. And that is just so, so silly. Um, so I think on the debate, if we're going to break it down for you, I'd say short cross penalty, if you're pulling someone down, excessive contact um, in a corner, then fair enough. Cut that out of the game. It, it ruins corners. It stops the player from attacking the ball or defending it. And yeah, that's fair enough. On the other hand, Sterling, if, you've got, if you're touching a player... Um, not putting them, not sort of impeding them really in any way, then that's not a penalty in my eyes. I don't know what you think on that, Kieran. I completely agree with you on that because what you've got here is two different examples of what should happen and what shouldn't happen. So I feel like the new laws of the game were put in place to stop incidents like the short cross one, wherein you know you pull somebody in the box and then that impedes them from attacking the ball from a corner. That, that should be put out of the game, like you say. We don't want to see that. And in fact, that frustrated many a fan seasons gone by when it would happen and nobody would do anything. So when Mike Dean gives that decision, everybody's there saying, yeah, this is what the new law is all about. Good. But then you see the Sterling one and you think, well, what on earth is going on there? The idea 
of just I mean just it just doesn't make logistical sense I understand that there's a principle to it but as you say if you keep giving penalties away like that it's setting a dangerous precedent really um, because now what Mike Dean has done there is just is, is pretty much provided justification for any referee who sees anything happen in the box to give a penalty you know because everyone will go back to that and say well Mike Dean did it now whether people agree with it or not that's kind of out the window because if that's how referees are going to perceive it that's what's going to be given so i'm sort of hoping that they kind of the man the referee team or board or whatever kind of get together after that weekend and say look right the short cross one that's fine but the sterling one we can't be clamping down as much on that because otherwise like you say ben what we're going to be getting five penalties a weekend but the point, the fact that fortunately that was the only incident of the weekend does give me hope that we won't see that on a regular basis. But it does then make me concerned if any time Mike Dean is going to be refing, surely players are going to be aware of the fact that that any any sort of touch in a box now could lead to a penalty. Yeah, but, it's, it's silly. And I, 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 I'm hoping... And I kind of believe this as well, that, that that penalty against Sterling is just a one-off, a mistake from Mike Dean, potentially um, trying to make up for the mistake he made early in the game in not giving Stoke a penalty for a completely separate incident. But yeah, yeah, we've said it all now, but it, it was a stupid decision. Yeah, absolutely. And so the, the final part of this debate, as we'll wrap up very swiftly, is going to be related to player behaviour, Ben. Now... Having a look at the rule here uh, that I've I've got on the old Sky Sports website, it says here that referees have been urged to take a stronger stand on intolerable behaviour by players following a joint stay statement by the Premier League, English Football League and FA. So running to contest decisions, arguing face-to-face with officials and visibly disrespectful actions will result in yellow cards. And the aim is to reduce kind of disrespectful conduct, such as aggressively challenging decisions or running from a distance to confront an official. So we've had a couple of instances of this over the past week, particularly involving Harry Arter and Diego Costa. Those are the two that I've uh, spotlighted. Not to say that it hasn't happened more than that, but those two have been put in the in the limelight for two separate reasons. One, the fact that Harry Arter got sent off really as 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 a consequence of it yes okay it was his first booking but it was sort of as a as a kind of chain effect and the same with diego costa so i asked a question to you ben what do you make of this new rule do you think that based on evidence of what we've seen over the first two weekends of the season that it's a good rule to put in place or do you think they're just you know it means that everybody now is going to be getting a yellow card if they challenge anything that the the, the referee says or does two words kieran about time honestly this rule this change in the laws should have happened years ago the disrespect that is shown to referees by players on the field is absolutely disgraceful in my opinion and diego costa may as well set up a direct debit to the fa right now in paying for all the fines he's got to pay for the yellow cards he'll get i mean he's going to get sent off at least once as a direct from directly from swearing at the ref or whatever, shouting at the ref, um, just like Harry Arter suffered this weekend. I think players, they, they get they get so many liberties. Um, and this one, I'm, I'm very glad to see, is, well, hopefully over. 
I know a lot of people said before the season, oh, they've done it all before, it's not going to change anything. But really, before the season started, I thought this, the FA, they've taken, or the Premier League, sorry, they've taken a stance. This is the right decision, and it looks like it's going to be, they're going to keep to it, basically. And so far in the season, they have done, which is completely fair enough. Um, again, I'll bring it back to Stoke because I know it the best. A lot of people, a lot of you listeners will know Marko Inaltovic is famous for sort of his, his tantrum sometimes, or at least getting annoyed and shouting a bit um, at the referee. He did it in the first game of the season against Muddersborough. He's running down the wing, gets tripped by their right back. Fair enough. Free kick, easy decision. The ref gives a free kick. We've got a free kick. Literally, last. this was the last year of the game as well. What does Marco do? Instead of being like, right, fair enough, got my free kick. That's exactly what I wanted. He shouts, he smacks the floor with his fist, um, shouts at the referee saying who knows what, um, and gets a yellow card. What a waste. I mean, when you're considering that a player could get, what, five games, five yellow cards and get a ban, um, these yellow cards will, will they'll add up. And they're letting the team down now. It's not just about having to go at the ref and sort of causing problems for the referee. This is you're letting your team down if if you shout at the referee or or behave in a way that's deemed um, sort of condescending or whatever or deemed necessary to give a yellow card for. So I'm glad that it's happened. Fair enough. I hope it continues um, and it will cut out or hopefully cut out this type of the rude behaviour, um, disgraceful behaviour really that is that is seen on the Premier League pitches. Absolutely. We hope that it continues. I again agree with you on so much of that because it's about time that rhetoric is met with action and, and I feel like the the FA, the Premier League, the referees, everyone's got the right stance on this and it will clamp it out and that's why I looked at particular you know, Harry Arter's first yellow card was appalling because you know the, the referee's given the decision for the handball there and he's there you know mocking the decision given by the linesman by just clapping in their face and then shouting at him what what a silly booking to pick up after that and that you know that that first yellow card cost him really because it really meant he couldn't do much else in the game and then when he made that cynical tackle which some people would say oh that's a great yellow card to take up yeah well not when it's your second yellow card because then you're off the pitch so i think the he really cost his team there for a silly decision and i'm sure costa will do in the near future so to round up proceedings, we've got one final feature left as we look at the particular funny stories that have taken place on social media this week. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to start off with the one that I managed to locate, which was, I thought, hilarious when I saw it at the time. And it did get a lot of coverage soon after, was uh, Christian Benteke. Of course, he has now made the transfer from Liverpool to Crystal Palace for a fee of around £27 million. So, you know, a, a pretty big signing for Crystal Palace. One of, I think it's their record-breaking signing by quite some distance. So, you know, you'd, you'd think you'd, you'd want to make a big deal out of it and you and you probably want to put in Twitter on your new on your bio, you want to put in the team's name, don't you? So you put in Crystal Palace after that. But what did Benteke do? He went and put FC Burnley. And you know what was fun, equally as funny about it is that he also spelt Burnley wrong. So, I mean, I don't know whether that was actually Ben Teke or somebody who manages his Twitter account who wrote that or whether it was some sort of joke, but it just it just looked quite appalling. And then Ben Teke had to come out later and sort of apologise for said Twitter gaffe. 
I mean, did you did you manage to catch any of this at all, Ben, with the whole Benteke thing? Yeah, I mean, I think it must be someone running his Twitter. Obviously, a lot of players nowadays, rather than running things completely on their own, they get someone to do it for them, which is fair enough. But if you're paying someone, it's literally, literally their one job is Twitter, I'm imagining. Or maybe you do a Facebook post. And if you get the buyer wrong, you write the wrong team. How embarrassing is that for the player? Obviously, for the person that's operating the Twitter, this is their job, their livelihood, and they can't even get that right. Um, yeah, shocking, but hilarious for us. Exactly. And Ben, you've got your own other social media story that you want to chat about. It's sort of a follow-up, really, isn't it, from from last week when we talked about uh, Hope Solo. Yes, I mean, Hope Solo, not, not the character from Star Wars, the goalkeeper <laughs> um, for USA women's team. Um, she said last week about Sweden playing boring football to get through to the semi-final of the Olympics. Um she also called them cowards. I think that's probably um, the sort of what happened is the result of, of calling Sweden cowards. Um, she got banned for six months from playing football for USWMT or USWNT, the US Women's National Team. Um, so, yeah, quite a heavy price to pay for saying something in the heat of the moment um, after a football match. Obviously, you have to be held accountable for, for what comes out of your mouth, um, as I'm sure we'll find out one day. Um, but... <laughs> Yeah, a bit harsh maybe, but quite amusing maybe. But so, I'm I'm sad for Hope Solo. I don't know. I I know I know that in the heat of the moment in competitive games like that, people are going to get annoyed. But yeah, weird one. Yeah, that is quite a strange one. But um, there you go. Twitter is not what it once used to be. Uh, saying things on Twitter gets you in trouble, as uh, certain Andre Gray has found out recently as well. Um, but moving on to another a final light-hearted story of, of the week. And um, you, you picked this one out as well, Ben, so I'll let you chat about it in more depth. But uh, Joe Hart obviously captained his side against Steyr Bucharest, Manchester City, that is, um, on Wednesday night. And he managed to keep a clean sheet. And it's probably going to be his last game now that Claudio Bravo from Barcelona has arrived. Uh, you're right. Oh, it's been, it was confirmed by Manchester City yesterday. But uh, you want to talk about some of Joe Hart's comments that he made at the end of the game. Well, um, after all this chat about Joe Hart being rubbish with his feet, not being able to kick a ball from Pep Guardiola, um, obviously, if you did see the game between Stoke and Man City, you'll notice that Willie Caballero is also off with his feet. Um, and then Joe Hart against Soya Bucharest got 100% pass accuracy in that game. So it kind of it kind of put to shame what Pep Guardiola has been saying about Joe over the last couple of weeks. And I do feel sorry for him because now Ronald Koeman has come out and been like, no, Everson, we're never interested in signing you. Um, so shame for him. Um, but then anyway, in a post-match interview with Joe Hart, I think the interviewer said, oh, did you realise that you got 100% pass accuracy in that game? He said, pigs do fly. Um, so yeah, pigs do fly and Joe Hart can pass a football. There we go. There we go. Mystery solved. So if anybody was concerned, who who you know, maybe when people were looking to sign Joe Hart, they just weren't sure. But a hundred percent accuracy, you get all sorts of people now who want to who want to get that player. But sadly, Pep Guardiola is not going to be one of them. With that in mind, we will call it an end then to today's show. And what a good show it has been today as well. So, 
we will be back next week at the same time in terms of the podcast release date. Um, you can, of course, find us on the iTunes feed. Um, ben, you probably know more about this than I do, if you'd be more behind the scenes and technical side. Uh, what is it just a left back in the studio is our is our name on iTunes. Yeah, just just search left back in the studio on your on your iTunes store. Um, it will come up. You can click subscribe. Give us a rating out of five stars if you enjoy it. Um, if you don't enjoy it, don't give us a rating. Give us a comment <laughs> review maybe if you if you feel up to it. Also on Twitter, same goes at left back or at LB in the studio. But if you search left back in the studio, I'm sure it will pop up. Um, give us a follow. Have a listen. Let us. Well, you've already had a listen. Why am I saying have a listen now? But yeah, just give us a follow and let us know what you thought of the podcast. But yeah, that's and the same for SoundCloud. Just, just there's so many ways of interacting with us, and I, I'd love you all to do that. Brilliant. I echo all of Ben's sentiments there. So thank you everybody for listening to today's show, and we'll be back next week with the left back in the studio. <laughs>